Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Authentic Audience Podcast. My name is Krista Ritma and I am your host. This was such a refreshing conversation today with Ben Kennard. He's the founder of Five North Chocolate. He is so smart, so optimistic. It was the perfect conversation for this afternoon. I was running around like a crazy person five minutes late to the call and just so grateful to be able to drop in with him. He's doing such beautiful work in the world. We talk all about fair trade. We talk about diversity, how he created this chocolate company, his powerful mission, what he's building, what he's doing, and how to stay truly optimistic uh, during this time. He gave me some really really good advice. Um, He's younger than I am, and I have rarely had, if ever, I think, a guest that's younger than me. And there's something so light about the way he carries himself, his energy, even though he's talking about such important topics. So uh, it's really obvious to me after this conversation and meeting him why he's so successful, and I'm really excited to continue to follow him along on his journey. So Yeah, what an incredible guy. I'm just sort of sitting here reeling from that experience. And when you find a good leader, uh, they make you feel better in your presence and that in their presence. And that is what Ben did for me. So I hope you're having a beautiful day wherever you are in the world. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Dedicated to great taste, consumer health, and sustainable sourcing, Ben Kennard founded Five North Chocolate, an award-winning certified LGBT business enterprise supporting cacao farmers around the world by creating deliciously nutritious, fair trade certified chocolate snacks. Five North has been featured by Forbes, President Clinton, Donna Karen, Bank of America, Bank of America, Ernst & Young, Goldman Sachs, KPMG, Google, and Cornell University. Holy wow. Welcome, Ben. Thanks, Krista. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you and so impressed by you so far. Um, I always start with the same question. Where in the world are you? What is happening today? Fill me in on what's happening with you. Sure. So uh, right now I am home. Uh, I'm home with my parents. So in the house I grew up in out on Long Island, about two hours east of Manhattan, so like right in the middle of Long Island on the North Shore uh, and uh, pretty close to New York City, which is great when we're not on lockdown. So <laughs> <laughs> normally I am in the city or at least on the go somewhere. Um, but right now, hunkered down, um, enjoying time in front of my screens. 
Um, and actually I'm about 45 minutes away from where we produce all of our chocolate snacks on Long Island as well. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Um, so given the state of the world, these podcasts are recorded pretty timely. So it will come out in the next couple of weeks. So we'll probably still be in a similar situation. Um, how is that affecting things for you uh, as a, a one man show? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it takes isolation to a new level for sure. Um, yeah. but I would say, you know, in a sense, people will, always be eating food and always be eating chocolate. So in a sense, we're not affected, but in a larger sense, we are because a lot of our accounts and a lot of our partners who support us are affected by what's happening around the world. Um, more specifically, and to give some examples, the college campuses where we sell chocolate, you know, they're no longer operating the way that they normally do. Um, so we've seen a drop off in orders from places like that or um, our hotel mini bars and mm. restaurants and cafes who have shared and sold our chocolate um, are not right now. Even corporate cafes where everyone is working from home now. Um, so a lot of the places where you could find our chocolate, you um, can't right now <laughs> just because they're they're shut down. Wow. So I want to talk more about this chocolate situation. Um, you have created something pretty epic here, and I'd love to sort of dive into that. So there are so many sort of facets to this. The LGBT certified company, the fair trade element of it. I mean, you're supporting a lot of people here. Um, can we sort of dive into your mission and your why and how this all began? Yeah, of course. You know, People always ask kind of for the origin story uh, and why chocolate. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't really have a super sexy answer, um, but it did start in my college dorm room with the idea to make um, guiltless candy. That was the, the original idea was really healthy candy. Um, mm. So I experimented with uh, some hard candy and lollipops in the very beginning. Um, they didn't turn out great at all. <laughs> Learned really quickly that I was not a candy maker. Um, but eventually, you know, I, I figured that in the candy and in the indulgence world, um, there was a, uh, a greater player that I wanted to get involved in, which was chocolate. And chocolate is one of those foods that so many people think of as a guilty indulgence. Um, and they're either feeling guilt when they consume it simply because of the ingredients in it, or also because of where those ingredients are coming from. So whether it be on the supply chain side or on the consumption side, people were not feeling positively about consuming chocolate. And I didn't like that idea. I was That's just so, so dissatisfied. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of like a, a rebel college student thinking that that was ridiculous in the 21st century for us to not have um, a suitable option for the world. Uh, so I experimented with lots of different chocolate snacks high in cacao and combined with fun flavors that also did good for, for the person eating it. Uh, and Five North was born. Wow. Um, so yeah, just from a few samples in my dorm room to um, a shared commercial kitchen space where I started producing enough for one farmer's market. That was kind of the, the origin story. That's beautiful. So I read about um, your trips to, where did you go? Uh, India and Ecuador. 
Yeah. Um, is that sort of the beginning of how this started to impact you and the fair, like when did the fair trade and all of that sort of come into play? Yeah. You know, fair trade, Krista was a part of my life long before chocolate. Um, growing up in middle and high school, um, I had a family member who opened a fair trade retail store. Um, and actually a couple of them in the U S and it was just by spending time in those stores and reading, um, product stories and origin stories about what fair trade even was and, and how it impacts, um, suppliers and producers on the other side of the world really, um, got me interested in fair trade. So when I went to college, I decided to start a fair trade campaign and fair trade club on campus to get students educated about fair trade and also to help them, figure out how they could support it. Where, where can they buy products? How can they campaign in their own communities to increase awareness on sustainable supply chains? And from there, I worked for a, um, a table linen company of all, of all types. Um, and uh, that took me to India where I met with artisans who were part of a fair trade, um, work, uh, a fair trade workshop where they were actually paid fair wages. They didn't use child labor. Um, and that was kind of the the origin of learning fair trade on the ground. Um, and then so from the beginning, when you created this, that was always a that was always a part of it. Yeah, yeah, that was always a part of me as as kind of a social activist. And then mm-hmm. when I wanted to kind of figure out how I would operate as a social entrepreneur, I knew I wanted to incorporate fair trade. Um, and in 2017, I went to Ecuador. Um, I actually won a trip through fair trade campaigns and I got to spend, yeah, I got to spend like a week and a half in Ecuador on an educational tour, learning about tea and cacao farmers and, um, just seeing and understanding how globalization affects farmers on the ground and see, you know, how, how can we do it better? I love that. So how do you, how do you find the farmers that you want to work with? How does this process work? That's a great question. And I think it's <clears throat> the answer is a lot less complex than people assume it to be. So the benefit of being such a small company is that we can tap into some already well-established supply chains. And that's where our partnership with Fairtrade USA comes in. So oh. since our products are certified by Fairtrade USA, we have access to their supply chains, which are already certified Fairtrade. So by being able to use those, those farmers and those relationships are already set up with importers and exporters um, that we just get to kind of tag along with. Uh, as we grow and as we get much bigger, uh, I imagine those relationships to become kind of one-on-one and direct with those farmers. But for now, um, it's great that we have a partner like Fairtrade USA to help us with that. And are most of the farmers in West Africa? Where are they? Yeah, I mean, you know, two-thirds of the world's cacao grows in West Africa. Um, and that's where most of the poverty is happening, um, which is where I think most of the, the change through fair trade needs to come from. Um, for us, we source both from West Africa and Latin America. Um, okay. it, the taste of cacao is actually dependent on the origin. Uh, so Latin American cacao is said to be more fruity and kind of brighter in taste. Okay. Um, whereas West African cacao is a little bit more robust and darker in its cacao flavor. Um, so when you blend those together, it actually creates kind of a really interesting balanced flavor, I would say. It's just, I love how intentional 
your businesses, like just each piece of the puzzle. Um, and I was reading about like the five things that you're committed to. Is that five? Yeah. So cacao, fair trade, well-being, diversity, and you. That's a lot. That's a big mission for a chocolate company. Like I'm just really blown away by the work you're doing. And it's so much bigger, I think, than the chocolate. And did you expect that to happen or... Um, I don't think I did, but I'm also not surprised. Like in the very beginning, it was just about making good chocolate. And then everything else that came on top of it was like, okay, how can I level up, you know, what we're doing to make it just that much, not to be um, corny, but sweeter. (laughs) How can we make what we're doing sweeter? Um, And that, that. you know, the, the focus was definitely like, good chocolate, good ingredients. And that comes with, you know, what your supply chain is like. That comes with how your packaging looks. That comes with how you communicate that to your customers and what your brand stands for. So I think just all of it comes together pretty naturally when you have that intention. But you're right. It's not something I expected or made the intention of in the very, very beginning. Yeah. I just, I love the site. I love how clean the branding is. And before we started recording, I was asking if this is all you. Um, you're quite the, uh, wearer of many hats, I guess to say, is this, is this all you, do you do the marketing as well? You know, in a, in a sense and on paper, it is a one man show. Um, but that's not to say that we don't have partners like a designer who we, you know, work closely with when we need design work, um, or our production crew that's on Long Island, you know, they're not necessarily our direct employees, but they're certainly our partners and, um, and part of the team really in a bigger picture. So, um, yes, on paper, it's me, but you know, in reality, it's so much, so many more people. It's, you know, the photographer that we use to help us with our photos and, um, and it's even our, our accounts and the stores that actually sell our chocolate. Like those are to me just as important a piece of the puzzle as anyone else making it a reality. Yeah. I really just appreciate what you're doing because it's like the product has to be good, right? Because if somebody just believed in your mission and wanted to support your mission, that's great. But if they're trying to support your mission, the best way to do it is to sell your chocolate. And so the product has to be good. So it's like your why and your mission and your product have to align. And when that happens, I find authenticity wins. And that's where like the sweet spot, the magic happens is where, you know, I, I am always looking at this with a marketing hat because that's what I do. I have a marketing agency. And so I'm looking at everything you're doing and I'm like, wow, this is sort of the trifecta because the mission is there. The why is there. The face is there. The brand is there. And it looks like the product's really good. So my question is when you do pitch this to like you were saying earlier that you have it in hotel mini bars and um, college campuses all across, how do you pitch it? Do you lead with the product? Do you lead with the mission? Like give me the pitch if I want, if I had a store. <laughs> that yeah, I can I mean, carry this in. <laughs> yeah, Krista, first things first is it has to taste amazing, right? right. Like, I mean, it, it should be able to sell itself when somebody actually tastes it for themselves. Um, and beyond that, I mean, there are great tasting chocolates out there. So we do have to have kind of an edge beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. But for us, absolutely lead with product, lead with taste, especially since this is a consumable. I think it would be so unfair to our company to, um, you know, create this amazingly backed product and then not have an amazing flavor. Um, so I always lead with taste and lead with product. Everything else on top of that is just icing on the chocolate cake. You're very smart. You're doing a lot. What did you study in, in college? 
Uh, in college, I studied business and German. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, you really, you have such a marketing brain in the way that you're thinking about all this, because I always tell people, you know, marketing can't save you. The product has to be good. And if the product's good, then marketing will only help you scale and, you know, be a catalyst for growth, but it's never going to be able to save you. So you have to have something good. So I want to talk about now, um, the LGBT business enterprise, because I, I hate to sound um, naive, but I didn't even know you could be a certified LGBT enterprise. So how does that work? I was looking here back at my notes that you are, you were named 40 LGBT leaders under 40 by Business Equality Magazine. Well, so congratulations. That's amazing. Um, so how do I become a certified LGBT business? Thanks, Krista. So um, that certification actually comes from the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce based okay. in D.C. Um, and there are a little over a thousand, I think, certified LGBT business enterprises. And what does and that mean? Very, yeah. So it, it honestly, it means you're 51% or more LGBT owned. Um, very similar to WeBank, which is the business women's business enterprise mm -hmm. um, certification. <clears throat> And that is 51% or more women-owned. Um, and there are certifications for veteran-owned businesses, refugee-owned, um, and a handful of other underrepresented or, or minority groups. Um, and so when it comes to the LGBT certification um, <clears throat> with the NGLCC, it's called the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce, um, you can either be a corporate partner with them to show that, you know, you kind of support what is happening in the LGBT advocacy space. Um, but then also, if you are a small business that is 51% or more LGBT owned, you can kind of designate that certification to your business. Um, wow. And that, that certification, you can use that in a few different ways. Most people are using it to gain access to supplier diversity initiatives that large corporations have in place to support um, diverse and underrepresented business owners. Um, but people are starting now to use it in other ways to, uh, to kind of express um, a stance in, in a social space. Wow, that's incredible. So I could become a partner. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. I really like that. Okay, cool. I love it. I'm like, I married into a, a family that's very uh, highly LGBT and my husband, we're actually the only, uh, it's a long story actually in our family, but um, I would love to be able to like publicly support that community more. And I didn't even know it was possible. Yeah. You know, I think more and more today we're realizing that we're all touched in some way by the community and connected to it in some way, whether we are a member of it or not. Uh, I think we're all in a, in a larger sense, a part of that family, <laughs> just because totally. um, more and more we finally learn that, that it is so much bigger than, than we thought. Yeah, that's incredible. So uh, you started this business right out of college. Uh, how old is your business? Yeah. So on paper, we're coming up on four years. Oh, same um, as us. Okay. Yeah. Hey, look at that. Maybe we have the same birthday, business <laughs> birthday. Um, we, yeah, I started this in college right as I was graduating. And, you know, like the entrepreneurial journey, it was not a straight path. Um, and actually two months after starting the company, I moved to Germany for a year and did a fellowship with the government and came home and picked up where I left off. 
Um, so it's windy and uh, yeah. yes, on paper, four years, but uh, in reality, more or less three years. Okay. What is the biggest challenge been for you since starting this straight out of school? Um, <clears throat> I would say most of our challenges come from um, the operational side. So okay. like realizing in a real physical sense, the product itself, um, you know, coming from a commercial kitchen where I could only make a couple hundred at a time, you know, hours and hours uh, in the middle of the night, renting a space by the hour um, to scaling it with a co-manufacturer like that shift is it. We're, I mean, we're still working on that transition and, and getting things kind of cleaner and making sure that the supply chain is efficient um, and making sure, you know, that we're using the right packaging and that it, works with our machinery correctly and all of these pieces that you need to scale a food business are just really complex. And I think that's been our biggest challenge to date. Wow. Yeah. I just, it's so inspiring what you've been able to accomplish, I think, in such a short amount of time. I think, you know, I'm on the younger side as well. And I think you're quite a bit younger than I am. And it's just inspiring for me to sort of see that generation right after me. Um, it gives me so much hope actually like talking to a lot of the people I talk to on here are older than I am because they, it takes a long time to create a successful business, right? Doing something that you love. And I get a lot of advice about, you know, how, what would you say to somebody just starting out? And my question for you is what would you say to somebody in college or not even in college, but I mean, you just had this idea and you just did it and you hustled and you worked really hard. And I think there's no real shortcut, um, but you are quite successful and have done, I'm looking at my, I've had to like scroll three times through my notes here of all of your accomplishments. And do you rest? Like, do you have a work-life balance? Tell me, tell me your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, to answer your first question, the, the piece of advice that I would give to someone, you know, thinking about or tinkering with an idea is simply that there will never be a prime and ideal time to do it. So, yeah, I mean, you'll always find an excuse or a reason why that moment might not be the right time. You have a job or you're just about to graduate or you have no money or you're living at home or whatever it might be. Um, there will never be an ideal time to do it. Um, so just do it. <laughs> um, in terms of work-life balance, I mean, the, the good news is, is that when you, you know, create something with literally your bare hands, uh, you kind of fall in love with it. And so you don't really treat it like work uh, to a certain point. It's hard, but um, there's something totally satisfying about um, anything that you accomplish within that realm, which is often why we forego, you know, the, the profit or salary side of, of the startup world. And we're okay with that because we, we love what we're doing. Um, but I think, you know, past that, of course, it's just so important to be healthy. And, um, for me, my guiding star is realizing that like, without me in the company, there is no company. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important to remember that like, you are your greatest investment, everything that you do for yourself to build yourself, to educate yourself, to make yourself healthy, to, um, create something better is, is through you. Um, so investing in yourself is absolutely number one. You're very wise. 
I'm still trying to learn that one. It's hard when you are the company. Well, I mean, your chocolate is the company, but without, without Ben, there is no company. And without Krista, uh, there is no authentic audience, but I, I tend to feel a lot of pressure in that, um, without me being on, you know, I have to be on all the time. I have to make the sale. I have to do the thing. And I have employees now that I have to take care of. And as I grow that pressure, I actually don't mind, um, the employees, but just knowing that, you know, it's just a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure for one person to be under. And it seems like you're handling it with grace. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Some days, uh, that might not look so true. And, you're right. It's a huge responsibility and it, it can really weigh on you. And uh, the good news is, I think, is if you're feeling that weight, it just means that you care. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, it's just such an interesting time, I think, to be an entrepreneur because for so long the economy was like we started our businesses when the economy was booming. And it's just, you know, I was still, what, how old was I in 2008? I'm trying to think what I was doing with my life. Oh, I was still in college in 2008 when the economy crashed last time. And I actually went straight into working in the movies. So I, um, I've had, a similar journey to yours where it's a lot of different things uh, to get to where I'm at now at this company. But, um, and I remember people having a hard time finding work, but it, we were young, like it's, it wasn't that impactful. And then 9-11, the time before that we were babies. So um, this is a, the first time that I'm really sort of last year, even we were thinking, oh man, you know, we could just quit and work for Facebook or we could quit and work for some big marketing agency and not have all this headache. And now all of our friends that have those nine to fives and that had that corporate comfy salary are all getting laid off. And we have this sort of, we're finding knock on wood, uh, up until this point, pandemic proof, um, company. And I think shifting, like has your mindset around entrepreneurship and what you're growing really been affected? Cause I know mine has, and what are your thoughts about sort of how to protect your business going forward from things like this? Yeah, like, you, you know, making, I think it's are you making shifts or are you implementing things? I'm, I'm curious. I think it's so for, for us right now, I'm a little bit more nervous about the long-term impact than what mm-hmm. we're experiencing, you know, day to day in the next couple of weeks. And for that reason, I think it's still slightly early to, to know what we'll be feeling in, in a month or two or three or four. Um, I think we're very prepared for um, severe supply chain disruptions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think just the way that, that, materials and ingredients are sourced or is going to change. Um, and the way that we as a country are, have relationships with, with supply chains across borders is going to change. Um, so I think we just have to be very ready for that and very flexible with that. Um, but I think, I think broad, more broadly speaking, I would say that being an entrepreneur has helped teach the muscle to be able to react to change um, and also just learn that it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. <laughs> like everything that we do is um, for the long haul. Um, yeah. I think that's a really important piece. I call it a slow burn. Yeah. 
I'm like, I never want to, I never want to be like this firework, you know, that just lights up the sky and goes out. I want it to always be lit and, and figuring out how to do that, especially in this time, you know, luckily for us, we have a business where we do online launches, right? So we already live in zoom all day. Our clients are global and across the U S and so nothing really has changed for us. And so, you know, knock on wood, except one of our biggest clients was brick and mortar. Um, and I used to say, the worst thing that could happen is losing them as a client and we lost them as a client and we're fine. And so I think as entrepreneurs, like to me, it's just been this huge lesson in like it, like letting it, I don't even know the the right word to use, but this whole idea around money, like when you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you're either paying someone or getting paid at all times, like every day at all times of day, you're exchanging money. And I think I used to get too attached to that um, and holding on to the client or holding on to the relationship. Like I'm sure you have a big customer that, like you said, college campuses, well, that's not happening right now and how to sort of pivot when things like that happen. And I think it's interesting for the generation that us too, and because my parents are baby boomers and then we're, would you consider yourself a millennial? I am. I think I'm right on the cusp, but, but yes, I'm, I'm in that range. Yeah. So I think the future is going to look very different for us. And it's interesting as small businesses um, to realize I've, I'm just feeling so grateful these last couple of weeks for those close relationships that we have with customers and clients, because if it wasn't for that, I don't, I don't know what we would do. So it's an interesting time. And I'm curious just to know, you know, it seems like you're very optimistic about the future. Are you an optimistic person in general? I am. I totally am. Um, I think you need to be as an entrepreneur. If you weren't, you would quit on day two, maybe even day one. (laughs) That's true. Um, So you do need to be, and in a sense, you need to balance this, way of tricking yourself into believing it's going to work because you you need to be naive enough to think it will Mm -hmm. and optimistic enough to think it will, but balanced with this realistic, like, okay, how am I going to actually make it happen now? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Those two things are are really a tricky balance, but coded with optimism, I think really it helps. Yeah. It's incredible what you're doing, especially it's so funny to me because I always think about why things work. Like that's sort of the way my brain goes. And you're obviously a leader. You're super authentic. You have a niche offering, even though it's chocolate, which doesn't seem niche. Um, so how do you, how do you think is the biggest way that you stand out against your competitors? Or if I was trying to decide between, I don't even know what competitors you have. Um, but if you, I'm sure that you have tons of them because it's chocolate. So what do you feel makes you successful? Like then if you had to sort of pick one thing. You're right. Uh, chocolate is a super competitive space. So every day we have, you know, new competitors and entering the industry and, and sitting next to us on the shelf. Um, I would say, you know, one of the things that were, that was a very unexpected um, kind of highlight to our product was uh the cube shaped piece um to each Hmm. of our bite-sized pieces um people like totally have fallen in love with that um so in the very very beginning i'll let you in on a little secret the um the molds that we were using for our chocolate were actually mini ice cube trays 
So there were these like super tiny so little funny. cubes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the only thing I could find online that I could order and actually work with, you know, within a week. And as we started growing and as we started um, working with a, an actual manufacturer, we needed like a polycarbonate mold that fit in a machine. It was like a very standard kind of procedure. And in doing this, we decided to go custom and create uh, a shape that would be unique to us. And that we decided to keep that adorable cube shape piece. Um, people okay. seem to love that. Yeah. So I actually measured out down to the millimeter what this cube shape piece would be like. And in doing so, I was able to create, in my opinion, the perfect bite size piece. Like this is the perfect amount of chocolate that you would put in your mouth for a taste. Um, and that was, that has become, I think, something fun and unique just to us. It's so intentional. Like every single thing that you've told me is so intentional. And I obviously interview people all day with purpose-driven businesses that are really passionate about what they do. And I interviewed earlier today, this guy from Amsterdam who has this company called Crafted Society, and they're all about celebrating artisans. And um, the, his passion for talking about shoes or like the way he is the same way that you're talking about this chocolate. And it's just for the listeners and for, you know, I'm, I'm never forgetting that there's somebody that we're talking to right now. We're having a beautiful conversation, looking at each other from across the country, but hopefully thousands of people will listen to this and that's it. Like authenticity always wins. And it's always the intention. Like you weren't thinking, Oh, I'm going to start a chocolate company and like, you know, take off. And this is going to be my ticket to, you know, making millions. And I think that, you could make millions off of it and I'm sure you will, but the, it's that initial intention and that attention to detail that you can't really fake. And I applaud. Right. Yeah. What are you going to say? Go ahead. No, I was going to say that I think I love that. And I think so much of what we have done is with intention and also by pure accident, like in the, very, in the very beginning, those stupid cube shaped pieces were because I thought that they were cute. Like it was yeah. not really ever meant to be like, oh, I hope our customer falls in love with this adorable piece. And I hope that it, you know, it becomes unique to us and, and all of that. But it, it was in the very beginning, it was just like, well, I'm going with my gut because that looks cool and I like it. And I hope other people will too. Yeah. So kind of like making those little mistakes and assumptions in the very beginning um, and then leaning into them like crazy. That's, yeah. I think where the intention comes in. And I love, I love using that, that way to describe it. So thanks. Thanks. Yeah. No, I applaud you for so many things because first of all, like I got into a competitive space too, right? I'm in, I have a marketing agency. There's like a billion marketing agencies in the world, but I've never once feared that people wouldn't see us for who we are and people come to us for a reason. And I can see that with working with you. It, it's, it's, you just can't fake it. You can't fake authenticity. And I think, you know, the more people, the more business owners and people like you that I talk to, it gives me a lot of hope because seeing what success looks like right now, I think is very different. Um, it's actually really changing. And I actually think that this pandemic and what's going on is making us more conscious and more aware of where our money's going and what we're putting in our mouths and what, you know, and all of these little decisions that we're making 
buying versus Amazon versus local, all of these, you know, different things, convenience out of, you know, he really, Martin really schooled me this morning on this podcast because I'm a, I'm a Gemini and I want something yesterday and I want it delivered five minutes ago and five minutes from now it's too late. And when you're working with these artisans and these, you know, solopreneurs and these small businesses, you need to have patience and you need to actually be aware of where your money's going and what you're doing. And when he said that to me, he's like, it can't just be out of convenience. And so many of the decisions I make are out of convenience. So I think a huge piece of it is educating people. Um, How do you educate people on like the importance of what you're doing? Because fair trade has, um, and these sort of social entrepreneurship, these words that are getting thrown around, social impact businesses um, is something I'm really interested in right now. And I have had a lot of people on this podcast, but I think the, sad to say I'm 30 and I just really understood the fair trade act in the last couple of years. It's been around for 40 years. So how do you feel like the most, how can we educate? What's the best way to spread the word? Um, you know, more than just good chocolate, but actually your mission and what you stand for. How do you do that? Well, yeah. And you know, I don't, I, you're not too late, Krista. I think you're, you're right on time. And when you come to the realization, that's when it's important. And I would say that there are, there are probably two ways that we approach educating people or the two, the two most important things that we do to, to educate people are one, to keep it positive Mm. and two, to keep it about them. Um, so I think it's so important for people to realize like, why, why should they be buying fair trade? You know, it's not, it's actually not just about the farmer on the other end across the world. It's about the consumer taking the power that they should know that they have to make a better choice. Um, and I think when you make it about the consumer, that's when they become engaged and that's when the when they're activated to do good. Um, and the other piece is to make it positive. So I think that's, I think that is so big because there is such a negative like side to all of this, to anything, but especially when you find out, I think for me, I'm naive, right? I grew up in a very privileged environment and to come to find out all of sort of the, I was very sheltered. And so it call it, it was college for me. And I have this, you know, I wrote this piece called when I was an asshole and I realized when I was about 18, 19, what an asshole I was. And, and I say that by, because of how sheltered I was and how privileged I was and how mean to my parents I was and how hard they worked for me, a normal kid. Right. But I really hated myself for a long time once I realized what I was missing. And I think we all sort of have that existential aha moment, some sooner than others, and hopefully we all have it eventually. But I think once you wake up and realize what's going on, it can feel really heavy and awful and negative. So, and, and helpless. So I think the fact that not only you keep it positive, but that you're taking it into your own hands to do something about is super admirable, but the positivity part, how do you stay so positive? You know, I would say that for us, it's about showing not that by buying our chocolate, you know, you're not supporting uh, slave and child labor. I would say by buying our chocolate, you allow farmers across the world to send their children to school. Um, and that is like, that is essentially the exact same message, but put in a very different way. And I think it really does put the consumer in the driver's seat. Um, and it gives them, 
you know, reason to act. Um, I would say that when you lead with negativity, the response is to not act, is to just back away um, and kind of give up. Uh, but when you lead with positivity, I've noticed that the the consumer becomes engaged. They want to learn more. They question it more. That's like one of my favorite things is when customers like get really worked up and start questioning like really deeply what's going on. That means that they care. Yeah. Um, and it's not something I'll ever take offense to. It's something that I'll become excited about that we see that more and more. Yeah, I just appreciate this conversation. I, um, you know, we sort of dropped in. I was running around before. And the reason why I love this podcast is it just like everything just goes away and I'm just here and I'm getting to learn about what you're sharing with me. And I think so many people, especially older people, not to sound awful, but I have a lot of friends that that negative approach, I think potentially was how people marketed in the past. But I've had, I have a friend that's working on this project that has to do with water. And every time he talks about it, it sounds, it feels so negative that it like causes me to sort of shut down a little bit instead of engage. And I think just that positive outlook, I say this in marketing all the time. um, So many people want to hit on the pain points. Like, are you suffering from fatigue or are you like bloated or do you, whatever, like these marketing things are. I'm like, instead of saying that, what if we say, you know, we just take that point and we make it a benefit. So, um, sleep more, like clear your, like clear up skin, not suffering from acne, but like, do you want clearer skin? Like, and I say that in marketing all the time, like focus on the benefits instead of the, take the pain point and turn it into a benefit. And that's exactly what you're doing. And that's why I asked you what you studied because the marketing seems to come very naturally to you. And it, I have a lot of these conversations and it doesn't come naturally to most people to lead like that, to lead with the positive, to lead with the benefit. So I'm excited to follow in your journey because you're going to go very far. I can tell you right now. Thanks, Krista. Yeah, you've got like, whenever we take on a client or whenever we consider working with somebody, we have these like internal boxes that we have to check. It's, are they authentic? Is the, is the product good? Like, is what we're selling good? Does it help people? Does it serve people? Right. And we go down this list and I'm always, I can't not you know, sort of put my podcast guests up, up on that test as well. And, and you check all the boxes. So it's, um, I feel like the world is going to see a lot of you and I'm excited. I'm excited to have you sort of leading all of these missions, but it's, it's really powerful. Do you do talks? Do you give talks? I'm feeling a Ted talk coming. Um, I, I have actually, I have given a TEDx talk on fair trade, actually. There it is. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, I have done that. And I was actually scheduled to give another one just a couple of weeks ago before all the crazy happened. Um, so it's been rescheduled for this fall. Great. Um, totally different topic. It won't be on supply chains. It will not be on food. It will not be on chocolate. Can um, we know yet? Something... <laughs> not yet. Um, um, actually, you can know. And I'll tell you why you can know, because they posted it on the site. Great. So I can tell you, um, wait, actually it's been so long since I looked now. I want to find out what my title was. Okay, great. Um, where was it supposed to be? Uh, just outside of Philadelphia. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So I'm sitting here listening. I'm like, find... where's the yeah. Ted talk? And you're like, Oh, it's already there. All right. You ready? It's yeah. loading right now. I'm ready. The suspense I hope is, <laughs> is not too drawn out. Again, with the marketing tactics, making it. Yeah, right. It's great. All right. So the 
the topic, if I don't have the title, the title was good. And I don't know why I can't remember it. Um, the topic is on juggling. So like, how juggling can improve your life. Like, oh, here it is. Like, like actual juggling. Yeah. So it's, it's called what juggling taught me about life. Like juggling, juggling. Oh yeah. Juggling with three balls on a unicycle. <laughs> do you do that? I do. That's, that's like my other, my other world. In oh college my God. Was, was, uh, I was president of the juggling club. You could find me, you know, unicycling around campus, like a clown. <laughs> oh my God. You are amazing. I love that story. Okay, great. Do you so- remember, Krista, do you remember a, um, commercial by progressive car insurance, with um, there was a chainsaw juggler on stage outside juggling chainsaws and progressive was talking about their name, name your price tool. And they said, um, don't let the power go to your head because the husband who was using the tool thought he could juggle the chainsaws. And he kept saying, throw me one, throw me one. Um, Maybe some of your listeners will remember that, that, um, that uh, commercial, but we actually hired that chainsaw juggler to come perform at our campus. And that was our that was our shining moment at <laughs> at college, <laughs> hiring a chainsaw juggler from a progressive commercial. <laughs> oh my God, where is life going to take you? I'm excited to follow along. So, for everybody listening who wants to try this chocolate, because I'm now like, okay, I'm looking at the goji berry. I'm looking at the pistachio. Which one's your favorite? Uh, my personal favorite is our cinnamon almond, just because oh, I'm man. a huge cinnamon fan. Um, but our all-time bestseller is the pistachio sea salt because that's like, you know, sweet and salty, can't go wrong. I see that. So you lead with that on the website. Very smart. We do. <laughs> Very good. Very smart. So if you want to find this chocolate and learn more about Ben, it's 5northchocolate.com, F-I-V-E. Um, what else? What are other calls to actions? How can we support you? How can we find more of you? Uh, you know, I would say a larger call to action is just, you know, start asking questions about your food, start reading ingredients and start talking about it with your friends. Um, I think that that can be really powerful. Um, And don't be afraid to talk about like those unlikely conversations in, in a strange place. And that's exactly what we did by putting the LGBT seal on our package was like, why not have a conversation about visibility and diversity over chocolate? Um, so things like that, that would be my larger call to action to people is, is, you know, to take something that you are not afraid to talk about and bring it to a space where you wouldn't imagine to. Wow. You're so smart. I really loved talking to you. This was such a great conversation. I haven't talked to somebody young and, a and male in a while. Hey. Yeah. So I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So it's been really refreshing because a lot of my guests are women that I look up to or women that, you know, inspire me in business. And I just, I'm like, let me, how can I connect with this person? Oh, let me get them on the podcast. Cause it's a great way to connect with people and um, network with people who you wouldn't normally get to connect with. And so, um, but I have a new hire uh, named Jared who I adore and he started sourcing my guests. And I have a feeling that you were one of his picks and that's how you came across my plate. So now I like have this spreadsheet and I research everyone on the sheet and I say, yes or no, you know, if I, so I ultimately have the say, but I've been getting some really cool and interesting guests because I'm having more people help me. And it's really widening the sort of perspective that I'm getting. And so I think it's really powerful to, 
Yeah. So if anybody has any guests that you want me to interview on here, I think that that's great because Jared um, is the one that sourced you for me. And I'm just so grateful for these kinds of... Yeah. You, you can either punish or award Jared for, no, he's, for choosing he's the weird done one. Really well. <laughs> he's done really well. And I was super excited to talk to you. And then my assistant researched you and you've been her favorite so far. So you have... What's your sign? I'm a Virgo. I knew it. And I'm I'm like... Like a, to a T, yeah. Like in a scary way, <laughs> the martyr, the perfectionist. I'm like only a Virgo can create this straight out of school <laughs> and like be this dedicated and this optimistic and this excited about their work. It's really beautiful. Well, Krista, my my best friend Scott, if he's listening, um, he's a Gemini. So it was funny we when you said well. that. Yes, we do work well together, and he's been a real true north star for me just keeping me super grounded in, in a lot of ways. Um, That's so. funny. Cause usually you should be the one keeping the Gemini grounded. Well, we do, we do <laughs> for each other. I would say we're pretty good yeah. at like just keeping it real. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for that from him and hopefully he's thankful for that on, on my end too. <laughs> I love that. Well, I've just loved this conversation. It's really refreshing. It's been really positive um, to talk to you. It was like very light, um, but you also are addressing some really important issues, um, but you do it in a way that keeps it light and approachable. So I have no doubt that you're going to be very successful, if not uh, you, why you already are. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Krista, and, and bringing me to your audience. Yeah, of course. I'm excited for them to meet you. And I know that everyone's smiling who's listening to this because it was a beautiful um, change of change of pace, I think. We've had a lot of like powerful women, um, and I think it's important to diversify. So let's end on that yeah. note. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So thank you guys all for being here. Uh, this was such a cool conversation. 5northchocolate.com and Ben Kennard. Thank you so much. And for everybody listening, thank you, thank you, thank you. Until next time, keep growing. <laughs>